Welcome to the Red Caps Podcast, a podcast where we dip our caps into the blood of our listeners, and then we ramble on about old school games. In today's episode, I play you a interview I did with Eric, one half of the Mushmen, which are the creators of the Knock magazine. And we discuss Knock Issue 1 and the Kickstarter that's currently ongoing for Knock Issue 2. As you know, nobody can outrun a Red Cap. So sit back, listen, and I hope you enjoy. I'm joined here by Eric Newton. Did I pronounce that correctly? Mm. Very well, actually, for a new speaker. I've given up. That's the Canadian side of me. Um, who is one half of the Mary Mushman creators and their amazing zine, Knock. You may also know Eric as the creator of Mashido Monsters, a wonderful game that blends both the black and white hack, both games that I own and love. So welcome, Eric, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You must be pretty excited. Under four minutes. Under four minutes and that Kickstarter was funded. Yeah, and also we did that by mistake, so I was asleep by then. <laughs> so it was it was a good start. That's that's a good good thing to wake up to. It looks like um, from from the numbers I was looking at, you might hit like triple the uh, the funding that you got from from issue one by the time this thing's all over. Triple, I don't know, but double, uh, I hope so. There's six days to go as we're recording this, so crossing fingers should happen excellent yeah and for as we, as we discuss all this folks definitely in case i don't mention it i'm sure i will a couple of times down in the description of the podcast there will be links to this pod uh, to this uh, kickstarter definitely go in and check it out but yeah under under four minutes um massive success thus far seems like it's only going to grow more and the the terminology for for the zine a brick a brack i love that term i never heard it before um, I saw this, but can you explain to those who may haven't looked at issue one, what knock is all about? It's very simple, actually. Um, Olivier can, can, Olivier is my partner in crime on this project. Uh, he came up with the idea of making a beautiful magazine. And, uh, there's a word in French that we use, uh, that doesn't exist as far as I know in English. It's revue. So it would be review, basically. But it's those nice to look at magazines that have interesting content and that don't have any perishable stuff. Um, so he wanted to do something like this. He wanted to do that big, thick brick of content for old school and adventure gaming enthusiasts. Um, and also reuse uh, those treasure troves of content that we've seen on blogs over the last 15 years and have a lot of the time forgotten about. So it's a lot of uh, a lot of what we have in the, those magazines is these old articles by luminaries of uh, the OSR and uh, also by people you might not know, uh, but repackaged, rewritten if needed and illustrated, uh, made nice looking and something you can keep uh, on your shelves for uh, the rest of your gaming life hopefully yeah i've described it uh, when speaking with others as a tabletop book like a, a coffee table book um, that you would put out um, and it's just a pleasure just to flip through looking at it um, and then like you said the content is is amazing it's it's very rare that you find a book that is both beautiful to look at but also incredibly useful from a content perspective uh, oftentimes people will nail one of the two of those, but it's rare that they get both as, as well as you guys did. Um, Thank you. And, 
Yeah. And of of the design, the thing that that stood out to me is how there isn't a, a square inch of at least an op number one that is wasted, um, down to the point where you guys had a table on the spine of the book um, as well. Like every square inch of of, of this book is is covered in something, um, and uh, I'm just, I'm just amazed at how how well it works. My my son. Uh, just giggled and, and sat there flipping through as soon as he saw the cover. Um, and he was just like, what kind of monster is that? And just dove into the book. He actually went through it before I could um, when we when it first arrived here months ago. That, that's great to hear. How old is he? He's just turned six, actually. And uh, uh, he's, he's enthralled with all my tabletop books. Anything that's got monsters in them, he has to go through and, and just... Uh, indulge and, and, and try, he'll he'll try to he's getting better at reading now so he's he's able to start reading the names but before he was just like making up names and uh he he likens them to his pokemon cards and makes up his own powers for different monsters so it's great i'll keep encouraging that uh imagination and <laughs> soon he'll be running games yep that, that's the prediction from me too uh <laughs> Issue two will be the same. Like we, it's become a game at this point. Every time we see a, a corner where we can add some stuff, we do. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to seeing, um, seeing how issue number two comes out. You're saying that that again. This is like a big collection of of older blog articles. Some of them that have been edited or or rewritten. Was it difficult to get the authors on board, or was it for people? Once you explain the concept, were people like really eager to get in on that? Yeah, it, it hasn't been difficult at all. Like, I think just one person told me that they, they weren't comfortable, comfortable in publishing something that they, they published on their blog before. Uh, but everyone else was super happy to see their, their work uh, recycled and given a new life and some kind of a permanent life because don't know how long those blogger blogs are going to last. You never know it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how much how much material got lost when Google Plus went away? Uh, so. don't, you know, don't tell me about that. <laughs> I'm getting sad. <laughs> so, when you went to go start selecting articles, was this something that that uh, you and Oliver were you had your own collection of like these are like the best things, and we go approach them, or or did you kind of put out a call for it, or like how did how did the selection process go for you trying to find the was there a theme or was it um, stuff you guys already had set aside for. So I'm afraid there, there's never been any method to our madness. Uh, there is a submission call since uh, after after we published uh, number one. So because I wanted to get some new stuff from people I didn't know, uh, which worked quite well. Like I've seen, I've, I've received very interesting stuff from, from new people uh, who some of them don't even have a, an OSR blog, so uh, that's going to be interesting to look at. Uh, but no, the idea was just let's put these things that we like, and then oh, you rem this this reminds me of this thing, and oh, wait, wait, in my gaming notes from three years ago, I had a, a, a note of this magic system that I loved, and uh, that didn't happen. That's something I want to do, but I have I haven't managed to find the. Uh, gaming notes from that time. Uh, but yeah, it was just like going crazy and nerding around about the stuff that we loved and make a list and then contact people. And then our list is still growing. We, we have so much stuff that we, we want to put in the next 
few issues. So, um, yeah, it's just you guys putting stuff together, really. Where did the where did the name Mary Mushman come from? Uh, that came from Olivier. Um, I am not sure how he came about that. He just decided he would call the imprint like this at, at the time. Uh, and I liked it. So there you are. But, uh, you know, mushroom people, mushman. Kind of makes sense. Yeah, um, is this your guys' first Kickstarter? Uh, issue number one? Yeah. Um, I, I had never touched a Kickstarter from the publishing side. Uh, neither had Olivier. He's been doing magazines uh, for war games for a long time, for a few years already, but he was just pre-selling uh, and not using crowdfunding. But uh, yeah, it worked quite well. Like I was, I was surprised and amazed at the the, the uh, audience we found from one to two. Um, it's just like there is very very little marketing work involved on our part. It just happens. Yeah, well, I'm, it's I. There, there's often the whole saying, you know, if they build it, they'll come. But if if you build it really well, I think, especially in smaller communities like the OSR community, the news of that just spreads and would bring a lot of folks in. Was was there any big lessons that you learned from like Kickstarter number one to Kickstarter number two? Like I noticed you guys, um, I you didn't really have a ton of stretch goals on number one either. But I, I always think it's smart when I see a Kickstarter that keeps their stretch goals very limited, um, keeps the original focus so that they, they don't have to worry about being able to fulfill all the extras but were there, were there any lessons learned or was that a, a conscious decision as well to uh, keep things really focused on just the zine yeah that was that was a decision and there's one thing that we couldn't do is have too much material to put in an envelope uh, because we didn't want the shipping to explode and that that has been uh, number one lesson from everyone who's made a Kickstarter in the last few years. Uh, that and uh, also the fact that we've seen so many Kickstarters, like the, some of them we've, we've subscribed to, uh, struggle to deliver their stretch goals because they kept promising stuff that wasn't ready. So we just decided that everything had to be done uh, and we wouldn't make something we wouldn't make anything extra. Uh, it's much better on our end to just start working on the next issue and then have something that will be just as good or better six months, six months later. Right. No, it makes sense. I mean, it, it probably takes a lot of pressure off of, off of you as well, as opposed to if you had promised you know, a stretch goal of, hey, here's a new adventure that will get written if we reach a stretch goal, a stretch goal and then you have to rush to complete that adventure or something along those lines. So that's why I think it's smart keeping it very focused. And um, it it's obviously successful. Everybody's been very pleased, at least from issue number one, you know, getting, how fast they got it and the news spread well. So you guys are able to continue with that sort of a pattern. I think it'll only increase success over time. Hopefully. Uh, also, we're both freelancers, so uh, our, our workload is kind of um, random, <laughs> depending on... Uh, we, can't, we can't really uh, 
plan how much work we're going to have to be doing at the same time as putting together a magazine and running the campaign. So there, there's no way we can put, we can promise too much. So it's just common sense at this stage. Right. One of the extras that you guys are going to be doing with this one, though, is uh, I believe um, I haven't looked at the Kickstarter page since it launched whenever I, whenever I fall, whenever I uh, pledged. But you guys were planning on doing a reprint for anybody who didn't get uh, a printing of, of issue number one, correct? Yes. And we gave it after, I don't know, how many dozens of comments. We uh, we are going to, to have a reprint, a small reprint. I don't know exactly, probably 500 uh 500 uh, uh, copies, sorry. So, so that yeah, everyone who uh, discovered us with uh, issue number two could get number one in the Kickstarter. And I and I highly recommend people get um, get the physical book. I've I'm a big PDF fan. I have a probably vast majority of my tabletop um, material is in PDF format. But the the physical book of this one was was really well done. Um, I actually went when I got the PDF version of of issue number one. I read a, a couple of pages of it and went, okay, no, I have to set this down. I'm just going to wait till the physical one came. <laughs> and then uh, once it came and I could pry it from my son, uh, then <laughs> I sat down and finished reading the rest of it. But uh, it is a fantastic <laughs> physical item to have. That's a great compliment to hear. You have to close the PDF and decide to wait. That's, that's yeah. That's, I was, well, that's, it's the the first few pages. Of it, I was like, I could tell that just the art was going to be better in person. Um, at least that's how I felt. It, it turned out to be right. Um, I mean, it's glorious on the on the PDF screen as well. But it just there's something special about holding it in your hand. So, thank you. Definitely recommend the physical book. What's What's your thought on over the last few years, especially? Uh, OSR zines just exploding. It seems like there is a zine out for everything now, and and almost in the way that there was a blog for everything now. There's almost like everybody's putting out uh, published zines on Kickstarter or through itch.io or what have you, um, and it's almost becoming a uh, a spot where instead of having a whole bunch of blog pages to follow, it's it's all these PDFs <laughs> that are coming up. Um, it's it's amazing how much content is coming out of the OSR space. Um, in such a very short time. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I don't know what the causes are. Um, maybe it's because we don't have uh, Dear Departed uh, Google Plus to make sure we see everything that's happening. But uh, I think ZinQuest, uh, that Kickstarter um, campaign that they do every year, is probably also a big, uh, a big factor because it's been... Uh, it showed that a lot of people can do can do it, and then you can do it, and then you have an idea. Um, you have fifteen page, sixteen page of content. Uh, you can do it, and once you've done it once with that campaign, you can keep doing it uh, and keep selling your your ideas. Um, and also, there's that there's that that sensual tactile pleasure of uh, playing with a, a little bit of uh, paper instead of uh, just reading a blog on your phone, you know? Exactly. You've, you've been a game designer, uh, obviously, as I, as I mentioned, your game. 
and you've I'm assuming you've spent the better part of the last year just in depth with all these various articles trying to get the, the two books together. What has been your favorite house rule or tweak or gaming advice that you've come across or that you have yourself to give out? And that's a hard one. Uh, <laughs> there's plenty. Like I keep, I keep reading blogs and taking notes. Um, and uh, but I'm not going to remember what I was reading the other day. But I was like, oh god, I need to run uh, old school essentials with that. Will it's great. And it was um, your character, whatever their class, can use any weapons, but uh, their hit die is the maximum damage that they can do. I read that too. I don't remember where I saw it now, but I did read that same. No, I'll have to look at my at my history to to tell you. Um, but it's it's what I do in Macchiato Monsters, funnily enough. Uh, and it never occurred to me that I could have a a, a wizard uh, holding a two hundred axe and doing D four damage. And you know, they'll look cool. They'll probably die, uh, but it's much better than dying with a dagger in your hand. For sure. Um, I've been, I've, I've been eagerly awaiting, um, Gavin to put out, uh, his carrying crawler, uh, uh, zine. I've got the inaugural issue from the, from the Kickstarter off the advanced, uh, o, uh OSE. Um, I'm waiting to see the next one, uh, c- because of the list of classes that they, that they have, um, in the inaugural one, there is a mage class as a replacement for the magic user. And I'm just enthralled with that, uh, with that class. Um, it may be my full-time replacement for the magic user i think long term at least in cam- at least in campaigns where it's lower magic um just because it feels so much more correct to me um than the original magic user it's he's uh, the mage is more like gandalf than say um merlin and uh it's it's a very neat class i've missed that issue uh, unless it was it's in my my list list of uh, pdfs that i got with the kickstarter uh but i haven't read the class yeah it's it's um it was one of the i think everybody who kickstarted uh osc advanced got got that issue um, but yeah definitely check that out there's there's some other classes in there that depending on on your on your world or your setting may or may not be all that appealing but the the mage at least for me was was uh Perfect, uh, and I'm eager to see what else they come out with. Um, is is OSC like which game do you play the most? Do you play your your own game the most, or is it uh, are you kind of mix match between various OSR games? So I have had a very strange um, lockdown um, pandemic year, <laughs> as we all have. Yeah. In that I, I play and don't DM much, and I play a lot of 5th edition, uh, which is not something I would have done normally. Um, but I have friends who we started a, a huge West Marches style campaign. It's sprawling. Everyone was invited to DM. Uh, I can't get out because my characters are have stuff to do, you know? So. Uh, <laughs> I have to play twice or three times a week. Uh, poor me. But that also means I don't get to uh, run my own games. And um, I was going to run uh, OSC. I think it's probably the next thing I'm going to run if I, when I get to get a group, a uh, face-to-face group in the same room. Um, but 
that said, I always have something on the on the in the in the oven or on the something that I'm making for myself or because I think it could be a good game I could make and and produce in, and publish in the end, which hasn't happened in years for some reason. But I keep making systems, so that's that's what I. That's what my brain wants me to do, so that's what I run uh, all of the time. I honestly don't think I know a single DM that plays OSR games that hasn't, at least in some manner, attempted to make their own game. <laughs> of just, of just like, like, even if it's just house rules and they've modified an existing game to a point where it's no longer recognizable, every everybody has done that. I think um, very few, I think, have the have the skill set to actually publish something like you have. Um, mine is ends up just being you know Google Docs of house rules that somewhat resembles the system, but it's a uh, it's definitely a common thing. Everybody's brains telling them to do that. Yeah, I think it's it's also the the it's what the game wants you to do. Exactly. Uh, it's full of holes for good reason, and you have to fill them or not, or decide that you want more holes, and then you remove stuff that doesn't work, you change it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and <laughs> or or you do something like read knock or a random blog and you come across an idea that you had never heard of before and you're like how did i never hear of this before that is brilliant <laughs> it, it, it upends everything you had previously planned and and uh, go from there for for me one of the first things um in recent years i can think of that that did that was um uh what's the name of the game sorry oh five torches deep um, I had read Five Torches Deep and uh, its whole, its quantum uh, slot-based inventory where you could have supply and just randomly pull in um, a item from a shop. Uh, so exchange this nubulous thing called supply and suddenly it became 10 feet of rope. Um, it was such a just light bulb moment for me in terms of how to continue handling um long shopping issues in town that uh it was it was pretty awesome it's a great rule set um something i, w I wanted to put on the table uh a long time ago already uh, especially when you know people who are into 5e you can tell them you know it's the same game just simpler and uh harder and, and uh, i'm sure it's going it, it would work with those uh those 5e types yeah, I mean, um, I've got a game that I'm playing right now in 5e, and um, I'm I, as a player, not as not as a DM. Um, I find I don't mind playing 5e as a player. I, it's not a game I want to I want to run uh, personally, but I don't mind playing it as a player. The, um, but I know there's like a, a Hanker and Fernet has the uh, 5e hardcore mode as well. Um, there's a bunch of different rules that that uh, tweaks that you can do to 5e because it's also very extendable and very easy to modify to bring it closer to an OSR feel if you choose to go that way that route. Yeah, and the difficulty level isn't isn't cranked too high either. Yeah, exactly. Um, for for me, the the amount of combinations for a character is part of the reason I find I don't enjoy 
playing 5e or sorry, playing but running 5e is that there's just there's so many so many uh options to try to keep track of and and uh it starts to feel more like a superhero game which again as a player isn't necessarily bad it's just not something i would want to run um as a as a dm the, the superhero side of it yeah, same i think I'd, I'd rather play or dm a, or run a, a superhero game that's actually a superhero game than 5e that has it, there's just like too many moving parts and too much stuff to um to remember uh which takes brain space for you know role-playing your npcs and making interesting stuff happen you're just pushing numbers and looking at uh pushing miniatures or uh, tokens on your screen and uh, looking at numbers and rolling dice and uh, yeah doesn't feel like a, it's a great experience as a as a dm to me at least i i agree i found the times i ran 5e that i would get so caught up in what is happening in that exact moment that i couldn't keep track of the greater world in my head and I feel as as the DM, more, even more so than NPCs, but the world as a whole is the character that I'm playing. And if I'm not able to focus on the world as a whole, if I'm so micro down to a tiny level, um, it starts to starts to lose something for me. So um, that's why I prefer games like OSE or Black Hack or White Hack or Machido Monsters or things like that. Uh, a lot of the OSR games are all um, you know, a little bit more comfortable, I guess, for me in that standpoint. Yeah, too much, too much prep time, uh, studying monsters and and balancing uh, encounters. I I have DM'd quite a bit in the West Marches campaign I was talking to you about, uh, but I, in the end I just gave up when the characters neared I don't know tenth or eleventh level. I, I was just guys. I spent the whole weekend. <laughs> On this adventure, uh, it took me three hours to about everything that could happen on my notebook, like I would do uh, uh, any other time with any other game, and then 15 hours doing balancing encounters and looking for maps and uh, tokens and stuff like that. I can't do this anymore. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're living in, in in Ireland, I believe, right now, and obviously from the accent. You're from you're, you're French. Um, was D and D a big Correct, thing? On both counts. Was D and D a big thing in 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 France as you were growing up? Uh, was the game different, or was it a different game altogether that had to be translated over? Or so we had um, we had the red box. We had the Moldvay uh, basic set translated directly by TSR. Um, in 82-83, I think. Uh, and that just popped up in hobby and uh, toy shops. And that's how it started uh, for me. Uh, I know students and people a bit older than I was uh, had started playing AD&D uh, with the, uh, the English rules, uh, the original rules. And... Uh, that's how D and D started, but very, very soon we got translations of uh, uh, Call of Cthulhu, Stormbringer. I think was one of the first ones. Um, I would 
I, I should remember the order of the games, but like between between 82 and uh, 1990, we had a, an explosion of games and uh, the French have always been um, quite competitive and uh, <laughs> you know we like we like to do uh, to show people that we can do better or differently uh, or or um, the same but uh, with more cheese I don't know but I don't know what it is but we had a lot of uh, and we still have a lot of games uh, produced published um, very few make it in English um, and uh, almost none of them has had any success but you, I don't know you might remember in Nomine maybe when it was um, I have one French OSR game uh, one moment just reaching over to my shelf here. Um, uh, now, I'm, I may have gotten your last name well, but my, my actual French is pretty poor. Epri and Sorcerer um, by Nicholas uh, Dassault. Dassault, yes. Uh, Epris and Sorcerer. That's um, the only French OSR I have. I have it in physical copy. A friend, a friend of mine recommended I get it. I, have, I only played it to once. I have not looked back at this in, in years, but um, it's a nice uh, as well. Yeah, Nicolas is, is uh, one of the OSR pioneers in France. He's uh, he was on the forums uh, like 15 years ago. His his uh, handle was Snorri, like the like the Norse name. Okay. Uh, he's the guy who made Hunters of the Unknown. Uh, you know that micro game that uh, started. Sparked. Uh, that's what I was looking for. The whole slew of uh, of reskins. There's like fifty or sixty versions to play Star Wars, to play anything you, right. you can think of. Well, that's very cool. I find it very interesting um, when I when I speak with people from different parts of the world and find out what games they were playing. I was speaking with uh, on a previous episode of the podcast. I was speaking with. Um, uh, Nicholas from Past Peculiar, uh, his blog, and he was telling me about a game called, uh, and again, this is going to be me butchering a pronunciation. It was uh, Drakkar Anch de Mior, I believe. It's a it's a Swedish game, um, and uh, it, it was completely separate from D and D. It ran more, I believe. He said it was a D one hundred system, um, but uh, it's just it's interesting seeing how the same kernel then just blossomed into different different uh, streams of, of, of uh, fantasy role-playing games in different parts of the world um, when they weren't serviced properly with you know, native language versions. They, they created their own, and some of those became quite popular. Yeah, yeah. I think every, every country, uh, or at least every European country, has their, their favorite game that was played by almost everyone in the 80s. Uh, I think we, we were lucky enough to have D&D, but yeah, the, I've heard of that Swedish game. Um, the Spaniards had something as well. They have that very, that very famous game called Aquelare. Uh, it's like a proper historic, history called historical. Yeah, that's the word. Sorry, uh, medieval game uh, about sorcery and the Inquisition. Oh, very neat. So let's bring us back towards Nock. Um, you were saying you've got 
tons and tons of submissions in that you're trying to go through. So you can keep between episode, between episode, between issue one and issue two, uh, you guys had about six, seven months. Is this, are you guys planning on this being like a regular by, by yearly thing or will it accelerate uh, to shorter intervals or? Don't think we can physically <laughs> accelerate because we <laughs> also have to, uh, you know, to make uh, a living. But not that this is not making money. We're actually quite pleased that uh, we're actually being decently paid for, for the amount of work we're doing. So that's great. But there's also other projects. Uh, so it's going to be one every six months. And uh, to be honest, the second one came a bit uh, faster than uh, expected. Uh, it was, yeah, a little bit more of a panic, maybe because the first one we took we had all the time we wanted and when, when we decided on a date, uh, we were pretty much ready, but, uh, that, that second one, there's been a, a lot of, uh, deadlines that have kind of ended at the same time, uh, with, <laughs> with lockdown. So I am, I'm actually at the moment finishing a few things that should have been finished in February. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a, of a mess, but, um, Hence, the second time we launched by mistake without doing any, uh, without writing to the authors, telling them to uh, get ready to do their their uh, bit uh, promotion-wise. Uh, yeah. yeah, what can I say? We're just two guys doing their, their thing. No, it's it's it may be two guys, but it, it honestly, it, it comes off very, very professionally done. Like I... Is is Oliver? I'm going to try to pronounce it like you do. I'm just going to goof it up. Is is Oliver's um, primary job the layout? Is that is that his his role with the between the two of you? Yes, uh, layout. He's doing art direction. Obviously, uh, he's handling the whole um, printer side. Uh, the all the books uh, are delivered directly to his house, <laughs> so. Uh, he's probably doing 75% of the work, to be honest. I'm, I'm writing, emailing to emailing people, asking for uh, text, uh, editing them, doing a first pass, and uh, sending that to Olivier, and then he's doing most of the rest. Excellent. Yeah, the um, I'm not sure. I, I have not looked at his at his wargaming um, magazine. It's, it's Battles, correct? Is that what his, his wargaming magazine is called? Uh, that's it, yeah. If it's if it's laid out anything like this though, I may I'm not really a wargaming fan, but I would try to see if I can find a copy of that just to <laughs> see how, see how it looks. It's, uh, I, I really 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 like his work as far as the layout goes. Um, but there will there will definitely be a number three and possibly a number four. Oh yeah, uh, like we didn't we didn't expect uh, as many as many backers uh, for issue one, and uh, we were hoping that we would do. At least as good with issue two, but uh, so, yeah, we're, we're just flabbergasted and we're just going to keep doing this until people tell us that they don't, they don't want any of them anymore. <laughs> good stuff. That's what I like to hear. Um, so yeah, so for anybody who's listening, um, this Kickstarter has about six days left on it, maybe five days by the time you're hearing this. Um, and so definitely head over to Kickstarter. There will be a link in the description of the episode. and. 
I'm assuming much like with issue number one, there'll be at least a limited number of copies that'll be available for sale after the Kickstarter is over as well for those who may may not make it in time. That should be. Excellent. Um, so yeah, this has been Eric. We're talking about Knock. Uh, both issue one and issue two are fantastic. Issue two is up for Kickstarter. If you get in early, you might be able to get uh, your name on one of those 500 or so issue number ones that were reprinted. Hi- highly recommend you do so. It is a fantastic zine. And um, like I said, the PDFs are great, but the physical copy is what you really want to get your hands on. Eric, thanks very much for talking to me about this. Is there anything else that you're working on or that the Mushmen are working on that people should be aware of? Any places they should go to to find out more information about yourself or uh, Knock or anything else? Um, The website for uh, Knock is the Mary Mushmen dot com the marymushman.com there isn't a lot at the moment but if you want to order any of the of the issues you can go there Uh, myself you can find me on twitter would be the easiest way Uh, my website has been down for several weeks and i haven't found the time to uh, uh, solve the problem Uh, so my twitter is at Capitaine, so that would be Captain, spelled the French way, uh, at S-U-R in front of that. And hopefully we we plan to do a few things with the Mary Mushman. Uh, we're probably going to have time to talk about this, about the few ideas we have uh, once this campaign is finished. But uh, yeah, you'll, you'll know. We'll, We'll make sure that everyone knows when when we decided what to do first. Ooh, teasing. It, do you want to drop a, like what sort of things might Lamushman do besides the Doxy? A different book? Uh, you know, books with stuff in them. Ah. Well, there you go. The big news drop right there, folks. <laughs> More books. Yeah, probably actually, with I... illustrations and words. I mean, both. Yes. Uh, I don't think I've and uh, either of us has told anyone so you you've heard however vague you've heard it first (laughs) there you go well thank you very very much for taking the time to talk to me i appreciate it um thank you for the work because like i said i I really enjoyed enjoyed this um it's an amazing little zine i I learned little things from it every time i open it up and i can't wait to get my hands on the second one and uh, i wish you guys all the success with this one and the ones in the future and Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for all the kind words. Well, folks, that wraps up this episode of the Red Caps podcast. I hope you enjoyed, learned something, and are eager to come back for more. Please subscribe in your podcasting app of choice. And if there's an option to leave a review, it would warm my cool little heart if you did. I'd love to hear from you. So if you head over to anchor.fm slash the Red Caps, you can leave me a voicemail or you can say hi on Twitter or Facebook at the Red Caps Net. We also have a Discord server. So if you'd like to get in some games or just have a chat, There'll be a link to that down in the description, the same as there will be a link to the Kickstarter. Please go check out the Kickstarter. It is a great zine. You'll love it. Remember, never let your cap dry out. Stay safe. Have fun. We'll talk again soon.